You are listening to Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. First aired on Rossendale Radio on the 29th of March, 2020. This week, Paul talks with writer Richard O'Neill. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Waffle Hour. It's me, Paul Jenkins. Uh, And as ever, we're talking words, we're talking books, we're talking stories, uh, and we're talking getting out there uh, into the big wide world. Now, uh, obviously, we can't have guests in the studio at the moment. So uh, technology, sometimes uh, we've been we've been tweaking the technology as weeks gone on. uh, And uh, I had the immense pleasure today of speaking to Richard O'Neill. Richard was at his house. I was at my house. We're all doing things properly. Uh, uh, But uh, the, the way that this is working is that now people are phoning i'm channeling that through an ipad bouncing it off a speaker and then recording it with this is this is home technology it's very best uh, so as usual our, our apologies for the sound quality usually we'd have somebody in the studio with us but we're doing our best here and i've got to say uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased with the results this afternoon rich is a fascinating person to listen to and here's the interview that i had with him earlier Okay, welcome to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. I'm Paul Jenkins. This is the Weekend Wind Down, and I have the immense pleasure of having Richard O'Neill on the line. Can you hear me, Richard? I can. Hello. Hello. Whereabouts Whereabouts are you this afternoon? I'm in Bury this afternoon, and it, it's sunny, but it's cold, but it's not raining, so that's a good day. Oh, that's, that's, good. that's not bad for Bury. I lived in Bury for, for quite a long time. <laughs> and uh, you, I, I heard you tell me earlier on that you, you, you class yourself as generic northern man. <laughs> I am. I, I, come, I come from a. I, I was born and brought up in a traditional nomadic family up in the northeast of England. But we travelled just about everywhere in the north and the Midlands, and sometimes the south. So I've pretty much lived everywhere in the north. So you'll probably hear in my voice. You might hear people say, "Well, uh, are you from Derbyshire? Are you from Yorkshire? Are you from Lancashire? Are you from the northeast?" Uh, yeah, I'm, I am. I'm pretty much from everywhere. So if you ever need a generic northern voice. I'm your man. And you were based in Rawtonstall for a while, is that right? I was. I, we, we lived there. When I first came up to Lancashire, um, me and my family, I was living with my family at the time, and we lived in, in Rawtonstall, coming out of Rawtonstall on the way up to Crosher Booth and a little old falling down farmhouse, which I think is now all posh houses and a big school. Um, but at the time, we, we lived there, and it was the, the winter of 77 going into 1978. And... Um, I just found that the, the, the weather was a bit like the northeast. It was really cold and there was lots of snow everywhere. And I think I lived in one of those um, blue and orange parkers with the uh, <laughs> the big hood that stuck out. I think they were 10 quid um, at the local shop. And uh, I think most of us lived in one of those for the winter. But it was just the people I found in Rottenstall were just some of the nicest, warmest, friendly people um, that I'd ever met. And it was, it was just, uh, it was one of the... Uh, the nicest times I've ever had in my life, actually. I had a lot of love for Rottenstall. Um, you know, and they've even got a place, if you're going towards Burnley, called Love Clough. So, I mean, you know, what's not to like? Indeed. Uh, and now, we can we can tell, I haven't even, we haven't even got on to your, your work and the reason you're with us this afternoon, but I think our listeners can tell from the from the from just the descriptions and the way that you've been sort of describing your past uh, that your job is as a storyteller, which is, uh, which is uh, something hard to quantify for people about what, what that means to be a storyteller. How, how do you go about your, your daily business and your work? That's really interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it was something that I grew up with. A lot of people in my family, the older people, almost like Victorians, brought up in those days. 
and my gr- grandparents, great grandparents, they, they like a lot of sort of country people, didn't read and write very well. So, story was a way of passing down family history, and it was also a way of entertaining. So I grew up with story, and I loved story, the old stories, and I loved the way that they crafted new stories, and it was something that we valued in our family, and I valued, but I didn't realise the value it had out in the world and 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 it was only when i got older and i got into working with organizations Mm. and particularly as a campaigner as a volunteer campaigner that i realized the impact that story had how it connected people how it sort of you know created emotions and and then how it could be used in lots of different areas And, and then i was asked to about 15 years ago i think it is now i was asked to go and tell some stories in manchester Hmm. at a a community center and um i thought you know this is really interesting this is good and i enjoyed it and they enjoyed it and then more people asked me to do it and then i started to work in schools and and then that led on to me where i am now i've spent a lot of my time doing storytelling work for communities storytelling work for organizations and then schools libraries and 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 businesses too so it's uh, it's uh, really interesting how it's come from you know a very um, old-fashioned background and now it's seen as a you know quite an interesting and and modern thing it's it is interesting as well i mean i have this uh, when when you have to describe to somebody what you do uh, people often think of uh, i say i'm a poet and they say well is is that a real job <laughs> uh, and it's it, it's it's hard to quantify to people and they say well yes it is uh, uh, because you, you know you've, it's about it's about sharing words but that's actually but you know p- that's part of my my vocation now it's not just something i do for fun it's something that i do because it's it's i want to deliver words to people and you you're an author as well you've 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 written books as well I have. I started writing books about mm, ten, about eight, nine years ago, and, and, and self-published quite a few for, for children and for families. Mm. And then five years ago, uh, um, Child's Play Publishing, an international publisher, they publish around the world with offices in the USA and, and Australia. And one of their representatives came to me and said, "You know, we'd love to put some of your stories into books, uh, into picture books." Mm. And I said, okay. And they said, would you like, would you submit some? We're not saying we'll do it, but would you submit some? The same, you know, submission process as everybody else. And I sent uh, four stories in, and they really loved two of them. And um, then we published, they published them. And then they came back and said, you know, they've gone really well. Um, um, Have you got another couple? And so I gave them another couple of stories and um, we're up to four picture books now so and, and talking about some more uh, and it's it's really really lovely to be able to have created something and then for children around the world to read them and, and it's quite you know an amazing thing when you think you know i'm sat here in berry and, and and somebody will send you an email from a school in new york and say hey we really enjoyed your book and i'm like wow that's just you know, that's just a, and you, I never, I never take anything for granted. You know, all of these lovely emails you get from people from schools, and and I never take anything for granted. It's so so precious. I don't know whether that's because I came to it, you know, later in life, and somebody who didn't come from a literary background. You know, I'm still the only person in my family, and I, I'm 58 years old now. I'm the only person in my family to to be a published author. Mm. And I don't take that for granted. I still get a thrill. I still think, wow, you know, 
I'm, I'm one of those people that, because I, I was an avid reader, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people who now does the books. I just, it's still, <laughs> I have this sort of childlike thrill about it, which I, if I ever lose, I'll, I'll jack it in because it's, uh, you know, I've, I've lost the, the thrill of it. I've spoken to quite a few authors, and they say the very first thing that they do every time a new title uh, arrives back in your hands is that you go and put it on the shelf next to everybody else's books and go, "Wow, I'm up there with it. I'm, I'm up there with Rodal, and I'm up there with uh, Mallory Blackman, and I'm up there with Neil Gaiman, and everybody else that's writing." You suddenly, it's yeah. it, it's a lovely feeling. Um, um, we're just going to take a quick music break now, uh, and you've chosen some music for us. And the first one that you've got on your list is uh, is a Sam Cooke number. What's uh, what 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 brought you to that one? Well, my I was born in a, a caravan, a modern caravan in 1962. But my dad lived in a tent because of the old-fashioned nomadic Romani people. They you would have one big old-fashioned wagon, a bit like you see on Peaky Blinders. First line of the song. This is <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And 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 my dad was. I have a photograph of my dad living in a tent alongside the the banks of the River Tyne in Newcastle when he was eight years old. And and every time I hear this song. Um, you know, I was born by the river in a little tent. I always think of my dad, and it's just such a beautiful song. And it's just, yes. So it, it, it just, oh yeah, it just, it just fits perfectly for me. Well, that's fantastic. Okay, well, for listeners at home, here's Sam Cooke. Playing more of the songs you like. This is one hundred four point seven Rossendale Radio. So, welcome back to Rossendale Radio. It's Paul Jenkins here with the Waffle Hour, and uh, we've been uh, talking to Richard O'Neill. Richard was telling us all about his storytelling uh, and all about how he works uh, with with children and with libraries and with other organisations uh, to, to sort of start to develop words and stories with them, and of course, uh, publishing books as well. We went on to talk in the second part of the interview uh, about how he's really looking at diversity in literature. Welcome back to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. It's Paul Jenkins with the Waffle Hour here on uh, the Voice of the Valley uh, on the weekend wind down. Uh, I've got Richard O'Neill with me uh, and we've just been uh, listening there to Sam Cooke. Uh, and uh, while we've uh, uh, sort of been listening, we've been having a chat about uh, about something else that, that Richard is involved with, which is uh, something called Diverse Book Week. Uh, now, before we go any further, we didn't get a chance to mention where we get hold of, of your books, first of all, if we, if we wanted to have a look at them. If you if you just type in um, to any search engine uh, my name Richard O'Neill storyteller author then they'll come up you know so the the, the usual places where they sell them but I, w- I would always try and get people to go to the publisher which is Child's Play International they yeah. have a website and there are resources on that website people can download to go with the books but also you know if you can go to your local if you've got your nearest bookshop mm. your independent bookshop and get them to order it for you and send it um, it just it just keeps our local shops going and that's what I always say you know mm. it's easy to buy one off one of the big websites but if we can get an independent shop to to order them it, it's better for everybody i think i always locally we've got uh, we've got uh, we buy books are up uh, based up in waterfoot and uh, they, they they basically buy buy and sell secondhand books and they they're, they're, they're an online retailer but uh, obviously keeping things nice and uh, local local bookshop as as, as a nice uh, mix of the two which is quite nice so we'll, we'll, we'll see if i can divert them towards them um brilliant uh, so uh, yeah uh, tell me more about diverse book week because it's uh, it, what's the, what's the, the the kind of meaning behind it and the drive behind it well when, when i was growing up 
Um, you know, I was a, a real avid reader, a real, as I call myself, a bookhead. You know, mm. my, my dad used to call me Billy Bookhead because I think he'd look at me very often and just see a boy um, with a book in front of his face. Um, so it looked like my head. And um, so, <laughs> and then, then I was working at school in Rochdale and I had a look at all the books in the library and chatted to the, the English lead there, the person who did all of the, the books in English, and, and said, you know, these books don't really reflect the children. There are so many books around here, but there's nothing really that these children can identify with. And, and I'm not saying you should read a book that has you in it, just. No. But I think we do want to see ourselves reflected. And I bet there are people listening to this and thinking, well, do you know, I read a book that had some of the things in about Lancashire or about me or about that. And wow, that really got my attention. Mm. So the idea behind Diverse Book Week is to is just try to get people to publishers, um, libraries, um, bookshops to, to start to stock lots of different books. So, you know, books from working class authors, you know, we just, it's very difficult to get your book into a shop. It's very difficult for you to get published. But I think we should have a huge diversity of voices, whether that's, you know, different ages, different groups of people, whether that be working class people. I mean, I grew up in the 1970s and my mum had lots of books from the 60s and all the wonderful authors, you know, who, who stand Barstow from down in the Midlands and, and lots of different people. You know, all the early Coronation Street writers were great writers and, and they reflected working class culture. And I don't think we have enough of that. I don't think you know. I did. I did think of um, trying to write about my experiences in in Rottenstall um, mm. because it was the time when Saturday Night Fever was out, <laughs> and it was just wonderful. So I already came up with a title, which was Saturday Night Weaver. So, um, um, and I, sh I shall maybe work on that. But we, we, you know, we don't have enough reflected. I think so. Diverse Book Week is trying to get uh, the books that we have on offer. To, to be much more diverse in different genres, but also in reflecting different experiences of people. I remember uh, hearing uh, Alicia Dixon uh, actually sort of brought out a new title very recently, and so they, they were asking her why, why it was that she suddenly went from being pop star to, to wanting to become an author, and she said it's since she became a parent, she she's realised that there weren't any particular, particularly hero books. Uh, she couldn't find any for, for young black girls. There was, She was looking along the bookshelves yeah. and couldn't find anything and said, I wanted to write something for my daughter so that she could say you know that's what i would love to be i would love to be a hero as well and i think that's the thing it's about that that reflection in a book of you you wanting to see yourself going on an adventure don't you it is and, and you know have a, we have some schools that i work with in in berry um and one of their favorite books is is one of my picture books called the Cyrian the Barlamengro, which is the Barlamengro is the big hairy thing um and it stays in the book it lives up in the lancashire hills and we've got children looking up at Holcombe Hill and looking up at the other hills towards Rottenstall and thinking, oh, that Palomengro lives up there. Yeah. That's where it comes from. But, you know, often when you, when you read stories, everything or everyone comes from somewhere else. They don't come from where you are. And, and I just love that about that book, that it says Lancashire and the hills, and it could be this big airy thing, you know, up, up in the hills near you. How cool is that, driving past in the car or something? Oh, the Balamengra lives up there, Dad, you know? I love that. I think that might be one of the because uh, we are talking at a time during what I'm referring to as all of this uh, that is that is happening at the moment. Uh, but people are looking, you know, just outside their window. All of a sudden, they're not look necessarily looking out to the to the wider world. They're, they're they're kind of reconnecting with their local community in in a 
big way at the moment. And I think uh, I think it may be a, a, a positive thing that we find when we come out the other side of all this isolation at the moment is that actually people do start to look on their doorstep and say, you know, what is out there in the, you know, in the local community? And, that, and our stories will start to reflect that again. It's excellent. I, I hope so. And, I, and I, I think, you know, the stories that we will have that come out of this, you know, um, will will be will be really interesting, too. Uh, as you say, we've got time to, I think at the moment, we've got time to think and we've also got time to reflect mm. and to think about, you know, the people around us. And, and, and as you said, our community, but also the landmarks around us. They're amazing, aren't they? Yeah. You know, look at the hills around us. We're just so blessed, really. I've, I'm, I'm looking out at the moment. I live in Haslingdon and I'm, I'm looking uh, at, at the moment at uh, the beautiful foot of the Pennine Hills. And I know that it rolls off for, for miles and miles to come. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the days when I can go back running in them. <laughs> Yes, exactly, exactly. We we will we won't take them for granted as much, will we? I think certainly not. There's a, there's a, there's an ultra marathon in me that's just waiting to get out now. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, so we're going to come up uh, to second music break now, and uh, this was uh, this is the stray cat strut, and possibly one of the funkiest pieces of music that we've had on requests. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. Um, <clears throat> It's, it, there's, there's a couple of things why I love this so much. Um, my my daughters are grown up now, but we we always we always love to have stories and we always love to have fun, and we always love music. And when the Stray Cats came out with the Stray Cats, we just loved the funkiness and the hairstyles of the, the Stray Cats and everything. And when this music came out, it was the first song that we as a family could all sing together while driving along or being on holiday. And it's just got. And then I wrote a story, which I hope I'm going to get published. Um, and and it's, it's a novel for children. And it's about a giant cat that lives in a town very much like Rotten Storm. Um, uh, and it, um, it gets rid of a giant mice, a mouse from a local mill. And um, when I was writing this, I was just thinking of this stray cat strut, this gang of cats in Rotten Store walking down the street, you know, and being led by this giant cat. And it just has this lovely, the sound of this, oh, it's just, it's just got everything in this song. It's funky, it's funny, it's brilliant, it's frothy, it's cool, it's rock and roll. Yeah, it's got everything. It's certainly what we need at the moment. Here are the stray cats. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Rossendale Radio. And follow us on Twitter at Rossendale Radio. Proud to be your local radio station. 104.7 Rossendale Radio, Lancashire. You're listening to the Waffle segment with me, Paul Jenkins. Here's the third part of our interview this afternoon with Richard O'Neill. Welcome back to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. Paul Jenkins here with Richard O'Neill on the Waffle Hour. Uh, now, we've been uh, chatting books and stories and uh, particularly about uh, Diverse Book Week and, uh, and about Richard's work. Uh, but there's one other uh, string uh, to Richard's bow. And this is what I'm finding with a lot of our guests is that they have their fingers in a lot of pies. Uh, and you are uh, instrumental in setting up Men's Health Week, aren't you, Richard? I am. Um, and it all comes back to my dad, really. Uh, unfortunately, my, my dad died at the same age as me. when I, I, was, I was 21 and my dad had a massive heart attack. And as you can imagine, it pretty much devastated the family. Mm. But my, my dad was, was a really, really practical man. He was brought up in a very practical way. Um, he didn't like anybody being bored. If you ever said you were bored, I never did. But if one of my other brothers or sisters said they were bored, he would shove a, a, a broom or a shovel in your hands <laughs> and get you to do something. Um, you know, 
so we were never bored. The other thing was he didn't like whinges or moaners, uh, which I don't myself. And um, so he was, you know, don't whinge and moan about something. Do something about it. Yeah. And when I when I sort of started to um, sort of come through that um, after my dad and, and, I, and I was running my business in, in, in the construction industry and then and got to the age of 29 and going on to 30 and, and I'd got to the point where I thought I could actually do something because I was starting to talk to men and I, I, I did some training in, in counselling um, and, and, and I was talking to a lot of men and men were coming to me and asking my advice about all sorts of things and, and I thought well you know I want to try and find out some information about men's health and I went down to my local um, health center and they didn't have any they had one now this is going back there would only be certain people here who remember the age of the photostat oh that's before the photocopying you know if there's any young people get get on a search engine and find out what a photostat was um so it was, it's a very crude very crude way of copying things anyway they gave me that and i said okay i said oh you can't take it that's the only one we've got Ooh. so i thought <laughs> You know, we need to do something about men's health. So I started a campaign in my own time, on my own money, and I started a campaign for, uh, I thought we need a National Men's Health Week because there isn't one. So um, to cut a very long, long story short, we organized a Greater Manchester Men's Health yeah. week which went very very well and then i went down to see the powers that be um in the health in london um on a train and back and forwards and back and forth yeah. and i kept campaigning and campaigning in the end i actually got tired of my own voice because i kept going to meetings and and saying the same thing and having a sort of virtually out-of-body experience and thinking oh god this this bloke's saying the same thing again and that bloke was me but eventually um Collected quite a few people together, and in 2002, we launched National Men's Health Week, and I was the volunteer director for the first two years mm. uh, until I just I couldn't give any more time to it. You know, it was it was really really affected uh, my work, um, but I'd got it up and I'd got it running and handed it over to a, a charity called the Men's Health Forum, and um, so that, that uh, yeah, I'm very very proud of the fact that. Um, you know we've we've done we've done some really really good stuff uh, and and i think at the moment you know it's going to be um more in demand because of where we are and, and when we come through the other side so um and you know for men who are listening whether that's physical health or mental health i believe it's all connected um it, it, we're talking now you know we're a couple of blogs talking now and it really is good to talk it, it, it's not good to bottle things up it really is good to talk and there's lots of ways you can do it now um so i, I hope that um, National Men's Health Week every every year in June just provides that little bit of extra spur for people to think, oh, you know, there are thousands and thousands of blokes. And and when I was campaigning for it, it was before. Um, could you imagine it was before social media? Well, yeah, of um, course. And so storytelling played a huge part. And people say, how did how did you know that it was actually working? And after the first year, I was in a transport caf. This is where trucks were, and I was pulled into this transport caf because it was the only place to get a cup of tea. And there was two big truckers sat at the table, and one says, uh, "Oh yeah, you know, but, uh, did you hear about that uh, men's health week?" Yeah. He says, "Oh, I'm here about," he said. Uh, uh, "Yeah, I, I went down to docks. I went down to docks, got me sorted right out." And I thought, "Yes." <laughs> That's We've the, made progress. And it's, it's the one, it's, it's, but it always comes back to, and this, this links us back into, as you say, your storytelling work, it links back to words and it links back to people talking because it's, it's about people having conversations. And if yes. I, I, I think a lot of the time we've, we've obviously got all of these 
what i like to think of as ancient stigmas now they're they're things that that were were drummed into me as an an early age and i'm hoping that my children now don't have those particular hang-ups about oh you don't talk about this and you can't talk about that and you know you know your health is your private matter well actually we if that doesn't help anybody in the longer longer term because it means that you know you suddenly you know you don't go to the the doctors for for six months or whatever it's it's uh it's it is absolutely fantastic that these things and as you say now are taking on a, a new realm with social media and, and, and all sorts of other things but it's it was great to know that you were the, that rolling ball to start with well thank you yeah um well uh, thank you so much for, for spending the time with us this afternoon um we, we're going to come on to your your final music choice just to, to sign us off uh, and i'll i'll hold my hands up where where i need to uh this is curing the course by tracy k i knew nothing of this song uh before we before we started i had to look it up we've had to dig it out of the uh, of the archives <laughs> uh and where where, where where did this one because this is a this is an eclectic mix you've had so far <laughs> well you see i just love music and i and and you know people say i've got an eclectic mix but i i, I just i love listening to local radio i love going to different places and hearing things and um I'd gone to, and I don't judge music by the genre or who sings it or whatever. I just listen to it. I like that. And we were in um, Ibiza, me and my wife. Not partying, I have to say, on the quieter side of the island, <laughs> about eight, nine, ten years ago. And um, we were just, we'd heard some of this music, sort of chill out music, you know. And, and I said to this chap in this, this place, uh, I said, What's that? He says, Oh, he said, It's head candy. I said, Oh, I've heard of head candy. He said, Because, you know, I did listen to local local radio and listen to late night radios and stuff mm. as I'm traveling around. And he says, Yeah, he said, There's a CD. He said, well, the, the, You said, you get one at the airport. So anyway, I went when we were going back home at the airport, got this CD with head candy on it, and um, got back home and listened to it, and just loved this one, The Cure and the Cause, and then found out that she was, you know, uh, uh, she's from Ireland, called Tracy K. And the, the thing for me about the mark of a brilliant song, be like the Beatles songs in a way, they can be done by so many people in so many different ways. Yeah. The flexibility of a song is the beauty of it, and that you've got this very, very much, very produced sort of head candy version. Then you've got this version that she does it live with with an orchestra. Um, and it's just absolutely, I just love this song, the cure, the cause, the lyrics, but the feel of it, oh, it's just one of the best songs I've heard it in lots of different ways, lots of different tempos. Oh, it's just, just brilliant. Well, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you richard we'll be playing here in the calls in a second uh, i'd like to extend an invite to you as, you, as you, you you're fairly local to us when when all this is over uh we'd love to invite you into the studio and, and maybe hear one or two stories if that's okay on a sunday afternoon could we, do you reckon we could do that i would love to come any excuse to come down to rottenstall right um and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you it's been an absolute pleasure well thank you very much we're going out with tracy kate and we'll speak to you very soon bye-bye Well, there we go. That's another week here done on Waffle the Bite Size podcast. I had such an amazing time uh, talking to Richard O'Neill earlier on. Uh, it was uh, really lovely as well because we're all stuck in the house at the moment. It was nice to kind of make that connection with somebody new that I hadn't met before uh, and to really share words and talk about stories and talk about the effect that they can have uh, on wider communities as well. It was absolutely fantastic. I thoroughly recommend going to check out his stuff. Uh, my thanks as ever go to Lee Ball and to Melanie Kemp for their production on Waffle the Bite Size podcast. 
Podcast and our friends at Rossendale Radio for allowing us to broadcast to the airwaves in the first place. We'll be back next week with another great guest on Waffle.